Good evening. It is good to have this number out with us for our second half of our worship service on this beautiful Lord's Day. And what a what a blessing we've had today. The sun is, I think the sun has shone just about all day long. And just what a beautiful day that we have been given. But tonight I want us to, to carry on with the thought of, of course, an Easter Sunday and a, an Easter Sunday evening lesson. This morning we talked about Christ and what he what he did for us. The, uh, the love that extended through uh, from the Father through the Son to you and I today. If you believe that he is, he is a Christ, you will have everlasting life. We learn that from the Scriptures, but it don't stop at belief. Well, keep in mind, to believe in Christ is an action. It's an everyday work. The things that we do, the, the way that we behave, the things that we say, the way that we treat one another is how we show God that we actually truly believe. Whenever James, he talks about the uh, faith and works working together, he, he asks a question. He asks, uh, show me your faith without your works. Can we do that? No, we can't do that. It's impossible. That's how we show our faith, by our works, by our active, uh, by our active living out our Christian lives. But this evening, I was a little bit different, a, li- a little bit different of a, of a uh, deliverance of the message, if you will, but it's still coming from the Word. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start reading in the third verse. And our lesson really stems around verses uh, 11 through 14. But we're going to start reading in the third verse. That was Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace by which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. (coughs) Excuse me, I'll I'll be glad when I get rid of that cough. According to the good pleasure, uh, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. Now let's stop reading there in the 14th verse. If you notice in verses 11 through 14, we'll back up in 11, verse, verse 11 speaks of an inheritance, something that's more precious than gold more precious than anything that has any type of value here upon this earth. You might think, you might think uh, the possessions in your home or, or the possessions that you have set back that comes from your, 
from your, from your ancestors, your, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, or so forth, something that's been handed down, you might, you might consider that very valuable. That is valuable to you. But I'm talking about something that's more value than that. Something that's priceless. This inheritance that's left back is your salvation. The saving of your souls from the fall. This morning we also learned at the end of, toward the end of the lesson that there were two resurrections. Remember those two resurrections? When Christ spoke to the thief on the cross, we do realize that there's a transitional period or a transitional place. We could, the Bible calls it the Hadean world where those who are in torment, those who do not believe in Christ, those who are not spiritually minded folks, who are just disavowed God altogether, go to this place of punishment. But Abraham's bosom, Christ referred to it to that thief on the cross as, as, as paradise. You remember that? A, a place of paradise. But then this is a temporal world. We learn in Revelations that this temporal place ain't going to last forever, where Hades will give up the dead. And those in the grave will be, res will be raised. We need to think about this inheritance. When it's wonderful, okay, well, when I say wonderful, it's wonderful to those who are in Christ. It's going to be a, a very scary time for those who are outside of Christ, not knowing what's happening, because there's a lot of folks out there who do not know about the resurrection. They don't know. They're unlearned. They don't know. And I wish they would come to the knowledge of the truth that this resurrection there are two, and the one who do good, Christ saying the word good, mean, that means righteous or godly or, or holy. I seriously wish that they would come to the knowledge to turn away from their wickedness and come to the knowledge of the truth. Because that would be a terrifying situation. When all these things are happening, when the powers of the heaven will be shaken and the opportunity of repentance will be gone. Standing before our Father, giving account of things we have done, whether good or bad. Hearing those words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, would be terrifying, would it not? Having to enter into torment forever, where that lake of fire exists, that would be terrifying. But this inheritance is left back for us in verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. You know what this inheritance is? The absence of that pain and suffering. The absence of the second death. Having your name in the book of life and not being cast into that lake of fire, that's your inheritance. And it's been left back from the Father through the Son. Now the reason why I say that without Christ's blood being attached to you, or you coming in contact with the blood of Christ, without that act, your name is not in the book of life. It's not. Period. You can't please God if you don't have faith. You can't have faith unless you trust in Christ. And if you're outside of Christ, your faith is pointless. Sure, you can believe that, that Christ existed. You can believe that all day long. But this faith, this type of faith that we just made, that's not a saving faith. A saving faith is this. Accepting this inheritance by our faithful observance to God's commands, abiding in His love, 
and Akoah, being predestined, of course, God already knows those who are going to be saved according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We see God and his will being given to men through his word and through the examples of his son. We see the will of God that all men everywhere should come to repentance, come to the knowledge of the truth, and turn away from their wicked works. Have we done that? As people in general, no, we have not. I'm not saying here at Booth Chapel. I'm not saying that. I'm saying people in general because the majority of people are wicked. The reason why I have to say that because the scriptures tell us many, many are the ones who find that wide and broad gate that leads to destruction. But the few, the few, and God already knows this, the few are the ones who are going to accept this inheritance and receive it. And hold dear to it because they are the ones who find that pathway that leads to everlasting life. Christ allowed that to happen. By being that faithful son. By being our spot-free sacrifice. As that lamb has to slaughter. We see in verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We look at the apostles. Let's go back a few thousand years. <coughs> Excuse me. We look at the apostles. And we go back to whenever in John in chapter 6 and 66. John, John chapter 6 and verse 66. We see many of those who are following Christ heard those disturbing things that Christ was talking about partaking of his flesh and drinking of his blood. Now that was a spiritual example. <clears throat> but they thought of this cannibalism. They thought this was a hard saying and they left. Some of the disciples left. Many, many of those disciples left and never walked with Christ again. Christ looked at his disciples, soon to be apostles, and said, don't, don't you want to leave too? Peter spoke up and says, only you have the words of life. Where else are we going to find it? Only you have it. They trusted in Christ first. They trusted in him. They knew he offered something that was beyond the grasp of mankind. It could only be given by God through his son. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. <clears throat> we look at ourselves. Do we trust in Christ the reason why I ask that question, do we know how to trust in Christ? Do you know how to put your everything in Him? And when I say put your everything in Him, it's to say this, do you put Him first? Do you heed His commandments? Do you follow His examples? Whereas we've been commanded to be imitators of Christ. Be imitators of God as dear children. To walk this earth as God himself would walk. And that's how we trust in Christ. We trust him enough to say, I'm going to abide in your word because I know that you're going to give me this inheritance on judgment day. No matter come what may, I'm going to be with you. And then my, when I make that statement, my mind goes back. To Peter. When he tells Jesus, I'd go to the grave for you. I'd die with you. Remember that? 
And then Jesus told him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Don't you think in the back of Peter's mind, he says, of course not. I wouldn't do that. I'd never deny you. I'd go to the grave. I'd die for you. And he was the one that struck Malchus's ear. Remember that? He was the one that drew out his sword and was ready to defend Christ. Of course, Christ stopped him. He says, no, no. Mm -mm. My kingdom is not of this world. Remember that? He says, no. He stopped that encounter. And then we see Peter in the courtyard. What did he do? Those servants, three different accounts, said, surely you was with him. One, surely you was with Christ. Weren't you with him? I don't know, man. Yeah, you were with him. I, I, I remember seeing it. No, I don't know the man. I'm telling you, I don't know the man. Your speech gives you away. And then he curses. I don't know the man. And then what happens? That rooster crowed, did it not? Look what happened immediately after that. When Christ looks at him, he went out and wept bitterly. Why did he weep better bitterly? Because he was weak in the flesh. The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Whenever Christ was praying in the garden, he said those very things, saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You and I need to realize when we trust in Christ, we need to put our everything, our best foot forward in the service of God. By faithfully following Christ's examples. And in verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That sealing act happened when we was immersed. When you was baptized for the remission of sins. You know what happens when you seal something? You do it when you can something, do you not? You make sure it seals. What are you actually doing? You're actually blocking things out, right? You're actually containing whatever's in that jar as you, as you have canned it. <clears throat> as soon as you break that vacuum, what happens? It's no longer sealed, is it? Guess what happens when we sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth? It's like us breaking that seal. If something is canned, it's preserved for quite a while, is it not? You don't even have to, you don't have to put it in the refrigerator. It's, 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 it's preserved. As soon as you break that seal, it's, 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 it's starting to decay. It starts. The bacteria comes in and it starts to work on whatever you had canned. That's what happens when we sin. After we no longer follow Christ's examples, we give up that inheritance. We lose sight of it. And we begin to decay. But this ceiling process that that Paul was talking about to the church in Ephesus. Of course he's talking to us as well. In whom you believe after receiving the knowledge or the receiving the gospel of your salvation. Previous to that uh, where did it go? 
having made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself in verse 9. And if you study your Bible, and if you hear about God's plan for his people, you know about salvation. You know about the saving from the fall. You learn about a place that's called hell. You used to learn of a place that's called heaven. And there is no middle ground. You're either going to go to one or you're going to go to other as you leave this earth. When we think about the promise that God has given his people, my mind goes straight to Revelation. Whenever we are in heaven as God's children, after judgment day, this earth will be destroyed and those will either be in hell or heaven, one of the two. And those in heaven, God says this, they will be my people and I will be their God and I will be with them. Isn't that comforting? To know that our heavenly Father will be there with us. Yes, we see him by faith. We can see him through, the, through our faith. <clears throat> we can see heaven through our faith. We can see those things, but not actually lay our eyes upon it. When Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments, he was just in the presence of God. He had to, had to shield his face. From just being in the presence of God, he had to shield his face because it was too bright to behold. The Israelites couldn't even look at him. He had to put that veil over his face. Could you imagine being in that presence forever? Wow. That's the inheritance that we're talking about tonight. That's this promise over a guarantee. And I like that word guarantee. How many of y'all like a guarantee? If you was to, if you was to buy a house or, or a car and the person selling you that says, I guarantee you'll never have to work on it, which I know that's impossible, but wouldn't that be nice to have that guarantee? You'll never have to fix anything for as long as you own this house or the car, for example. Things break, though, don't they? Things break. But it'd be nice to have that guarantee. God here, he says, well, excuse me, <laughs> Paul says that God gives us a guarantee. You know what that guarantee is? We talked about it this morning. Christ's resurrection. When Christ was resurrected from the grave, that is our guarantee that we will not stay in the grave. We're not going to stay there. We're going to be resurrected unto life or resurrected un unto condemnation. It's one or two. You might look at yourself and say, well, this, 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 this inheritance almost seems out of grasp. <clears throat> it almost sounds impossible to do. It's not. Being a child of God is not impossible. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. It's, 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 it's possible. Does that, mean, does that mean we're going to be perfect? That is not what that means whatsoever. What that says is when we fall short, when we stumble, when we, as we are imperfect, God knows it. He, he allows that escape through his son. When you have the access of the blood of Christ, repentance happens, confession happens, and you ask God for forgiveness, guess what? He restores you. And that's what it means to be in a child of God. 
God knows when we stumble. Lord knows I stumble just as much as you do. Thankfully, an avenue of escape is that. But guess what? We have to do those steps, don't we? We have to have that repentant heart. Because how do we feel when we fall short? We should feel alone. We should feel disgusted. We should feel ashamed as we've had that example before. You should have that feeling when you have fallen short. You want to repent. You want to turn away from it. Because you don't want to feel that way again. When you do that things, you lose this inheritance. Because as we are, this, when we have this guarantee of salvation, well guess what? This guarantee of salvation is a guarantee of condemnation. It's, it works both ways. I want to ask you a question. Why are we spiritually minded? Why are we meeting this day in the glory of God? Why are we meeting as God's children? We don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven. We want to serve God. We want to be that child of God that we should be. We want to be in the service of God. We want to follow Christ's examples. And those are very good answers. Very wonderful answers. Are we thankful that God offers us this guarantee as his children to remain faithful unto him because what does verse 14 say? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's break 14 down very carefully. <clears throat> Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Speaking of Christ, until the redemption of the purchased possession. All right. Who is the guarantee? As Christ was ascended to the right hand of God, so as also those who are faithful will ascend to the right hand of God. When Christ comes back, those in the grave gathered together in the clouds, and those who remain be changed and all took them off to heaven. Right? That's that's our picture. That's our sequence of, of, of events that's going to happen on that great day. So as the scriptures have revealed that unto us, Christ being resurrected, no longer in the grave, that's our guarantee that what is being spoken is true. All right, let's back up. Think outside the box for just a second. While were miracles performed in the early, in the early days of the church, even during Christ, excuse me, even during Christ's ministry, why were miracles performed? To confirm God's message. That's the only purpose of, of miracles. To confirm that the deliverer of this message is from God. Well, let's ask what a miracle is. A miracle defies, and I just lost the word, uh, not logic, uh, Y'all help me out. I can't think of the way it just escaped me. Physics. There it is. It defies physics. Period. There is no other explanation than it. this is God. All right, turn of water to wine. Christ's first miracle, right? Uh, that can't happen unless it is from God. Christ walking on water. How many of y'all ever walked on water? Even ducks can't do that. They swim in it, but they can't walk on it. 
The surface tension won't allow it. It defies physics to be able to walk on water. Christ did it. See what I mean? Miracles were there because the message needed to be confirmed that it was from God. That was their guarantee. Right? What about the, uh, the manna from heaven? When the bread was given? Okay. What about feeding the, the, the 3,000, feeding the 5,000? Y'all remember that miracle? As the food just kept going. Just kept going. They had this little portion, and when they gathered it together, they had way more than what they started with. Huh? That don't even, that defies logic. And everybody ate and was filled. That defies logic, does it not? That defies physics. Another miracle. That was their guarantee that what was being said and what was being taught was from God. Today, our guarantee is Christ no longer being in the grave. So if Christ was resurrected, we follow Christ's examples. Therefore, on that great day, we should be resurrected unto everlasting life. Should we not? Yes, we will. That is the promise. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. All right. In the knowledge of heaven, in the knowledge of this great thing that's going to happen to be transported or translated from this world to the next, standing before God, hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant, and a home with him forever. With the knowledge of that, we're going to keep that into our minds until when? Until Christ comes. Until Christ comes and reclaims those who are his. That's the possession of the, per excuse me, that is the redemption of, of the purchased possession. You gotta say, what, what are you talking about? The purchased possession. I wasn't bought. Yes, you were. If you was baptized or immersed for the remission of sins, you were bought. Guess who paid? Guess who paid the cost? Christ did. His blood was shed to have that opportunity for have your sins to be remitted. To become a child of God, Christ paid. Christ, you ever had somebody to pay for your uh, to pay for your meal in line? It's happened to me a couple of times where I'm, where I'm sitting in the drive-through and and I pull up there and says, "Well, your meal's already paid for. Pay it forward, right? We'll get that person behind me." That's bit me once, by the way. But we think about that when Christ paid for our salvation by sacrifice on the cross. Do we keep that fresh into our minds? We should. Until we see him. To the praise of his glory. We learn about the three parables of the uh, lost sheep, lost coin, and the uh, and the, the returning brother, the prodigal son, excuse me. We learn something. When that one sheep is found. One, one straight away in the 99 state where they were supposed to be. When that shepherd found that sheep, was there rejoicing or was there sadness? There was rejoicing. What about the, the, the lady who lost the coin? She cleaned everything. She, she, she knew she was missing one. And when she found it, was there rejoicing? There was rejoicing. Not only was there rejoicing in heaven, the scriptures tell us, when one sinner repents from their sins and turns to God, there's rejoicing in heaven. And then the prodigal son, right? The elder son, he was mad. Well, you've never done that for me and my friends. I'm angry. I'm mad. And the father says, what? 
Is it wrong for me to be happy that my son has returned from the dead, who was once dead and is now alive, who was lost and is now found? It's right for us to be married. We should be happy. To the praise of his glory. When we're out there living out our lives as Christians, who is glorified? God. Right? We do it for his glory. When Christ was here upon this earth, teaching and admonishing and healing the sick and doing the wonderful things that he did, who did he give the credit to? He didn't take the credit for himself, did he? He gave the credit to his Father in heaven, to the one who sent him. We live out our lives as Christians to confirm that God's message is true and to renew in our hearts that salvation waits for us so God can be glorified. Because he, in all honesty, paid the ultimate price. He took on sins for us, folks. He took on the thing that he hates. He took on the things that he calls Almost the destruction of mankind altogether. He took that on. For you, for me, for everybody. Do you think God loves you? You had better believe that He loves you. He loves you enough to take on something that He hates. To be separated from one third of Himself. Which I, my mind can't even fathom that. But he done it for you and I. We have redemption in Christ. To give up the world, to give up its pleasures, to give up the things that are alluring to us that Satan says, come with me. All these things are wonderful. But they're not. They will condemn you. The sins of this world separates us from our Father. We learn in Isaiah 59 too. But we have, we have an escape, we have an avenue out that allows us to come back to God as we have sinned and as we have fallen short. Because we have a wonderful advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he extends his hand this evening. He welcomes you to come back if you have sinned and if you have fallen short. Have you lost sight of your inheritance? I know sometimes, sometimes it, it, it seems... Almost impossible. Sometimes, sometimes we confirm that by sinning and falling short. So, well, I'm, I'm not worthy. I've heard that before, too. Are we worthy of salvation? No, sirs and no, ma'ams, we are not. How can I say that? Because we're fallible human beings. God has reserved something that's special, beyond special. It's unsearchable, uncomprehendable, unspeakable. What God has done for us and what he has left back for us to have partakings of. <coughs> Excuse me. So I want to encourage something before you before we depart this evening. If you have sinned, if you have fallen short, if you have lost sight of this inheritance, if you have left lost sight of this guarantee, if you have lost sight of being fellow having fellowship with God with our sins and our iniquities as they enter in, as they, as they creep in, as we go along with Satan, let's stop doing those things because it will condemn us. 
We're not going to hear well done and good and faithful servant if we're outside of the covenant relationship with God. We're not. If a sin needs to be repented of, let's do that right now. There's no reason we should take another breath or another step in a covenant relationship with Satan. Let's tell him, get behind me. Let's tell him, I want nothing to do with you. Let's draw near to God. Satan's going to flee from us when we do that. Let's make Satan frown by saying, I want nothing to do with sin. To have the knowledge or the wisdom to take and the discernment it takes to be that faithful child of God to say, I know what that act, I know what that choice, I know what that thing right there is going to do to me. It's going to condemn me. So let's turn away from our sins. Let's turn our hearts and our lives to God. Let's trust in Him in our everyday walks of life by living out our lives as faithful children of His. Imitating Him, finding out what's pleasing to Him and doing those things so that we can say, we want to glorify God. So at this time, I want to ask a question. Have you sinned? Have you fallen short? Have you taken that short walk with Satan that's displeasing in the eyes of God? God offers that extension right now. By turning away from that sin, asking for forgiveness, He will restore you if you ask Him. Do we need to do that tonight? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing this song of invitation?